Welcome to the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. Join Artem, Stefan, Ruslan, and Chris as we explore the latest trends and developments in the pharmaceutical industry with a focus on sales and technology. From cutting-edge innovations to practical tips and strategies, our expert guests will provide valuable insights to help you stay ahead of the game. Tune in to stay informed, inspired, and connected with the world of pharma sales. Cool. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and today is me, Stefan from Platforms, and I have a wonderful guest here. Her name is Wendy Pease from Rapper Translations, and I think best would be if Wendy will do her own intro. Wendy, tell us who you are, what you do. Report translations. Well, thank you, Stefan, for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I have owned the company Rapport International or ReportTranslations.com for 19 years now. And what we provide is high quality written translation, spoken interpretation. And so I think we'll get into talking about AI and where that fits into the translation industry. There's a place for it, but it's not going to take out the humans yet. And then I'm also a speaker, an author, and a podcaster. I wrote the book, The Language of Global Marketing, and I host the podcast, The Global Marketing Show. We have You can find it on all your listening apps. Mm-hmm. And then do I, I do a lot of speaking about multilingual marketing and cultural adaptation and things across languages and cultures. Awesome. Okay. So let's, you know, let's take the bull by the horns. Basically, we were talking about AI, right? So I just came from a conference next farm in Croatia, Dubrovnik, and everyone is talking about AI and in pharma, in pharma marketing, how AI is going to change everything, how, you know, people lose their jobs in pharma. And, you know, pharma people are usually very conservative, you know, and something like, chat gpt or ai can we can know that we're all sitting on the fence because of that so i'm wondering how would ai change the way how you guys operate right like you would yeah really interesting because after google translate came out there were some companies that started to help us do machine translation with post editing and so there's a handful of those companies it's been around in the industry and there's content it's appropriate for and there's content that it's not appropriate for. And so AI came out and the whole industry kind of went, you know, oh, what's this? What's it going to do? And users are saying, this is fantastic. But I've been watching a lot of industry webinars, bought an industry report, talking to competitors. There's still a lot of issues with it that we found the same with machine translation. It might be able to get to 80 to 90 or even 93% there with the translation. That part they miss up that it's not capable of doing is the cultural adaptation, you know, and that's, that's on a good one if it can do that. Other times it can be like 50%. But if you get that good one and they screw up that last 5%, you've opened your company up to liability. And you've lost clients that could have potentially bought because you don't have that cultural connection with them. So what we're seeing is, is all those companies that do machine translation and help us monitor it. So we might be able to do machine translation with post-editing. They're adding the AI on top of it. So if you consider the different NLP machine translations that you have, 
and the different AI, each of those specialize in a different area. And then what you have to do is bring it down into your company and make it company specific. That's if you've got the capabilities to work with your proprietary LLM. The other is if, if you just go to ChatGPT now and you pop it in there to use it, there's no copyright, there's no ownership, and you're putting all your information out for everybody to use. So Samsung had a big panic because they had an employee use it for something that was confidential. And so a lot of the big enterprises are slamming it down right now saying, we've got to get some control on this or it's going to put, you know, it's going to expose our trade secrets out there. So it is definitely interesting to watch. I'd say, I'll tell you this, like there is a reason why different companies have different, you were talking about cultural, I'll say, exchangeability or cultural adaptation, right? So in my right. way, or like, you know, for example, Opel in Europe, it's a car maker. Their name is Vauxhall in, in the UK. So, you know, and certain brands have different names in other countries. That's certainly, that's one part of what I see that AI is well cannot do another part is i would say they don't ai is really bad at, at coming up with your tone of voice and basically like everything all the copy that you get is sort of like very automatic it's not like you know right now i can distinguish what is like good copy because i have for example a few blogs that i always go to for information like there's a content agency called animals i always go there and i look for information there and i can see that a human wrote it now, ChatGPT and AI models, they're good for sort of like automated copy, a copy without a soul, you might say, right? Something that, you know, documentation and so on. And also, as you can see, like it also provides a burden for security, right? Because the model learns on all of these like examples, right? And it's going to use, if you work for a company, a big pharma company, like in our case, and you use it for, let's say you are researching who your buyers are, like, you know, potential moms or children, as an example of a buyer. And in this case, you're feeding the master some data that is supposed to be secret. Then the master will learn and then another company might get that. So they'll steal your trade secrets, which is very dangerous. And my yeah. question is, how would you treat that sort of like security? Like, let's say if I fed that information to GPT and or if I would work with you, what would be the difference? Because I guess you would take care of my security. You would adjust to my brand, brand and voice and so on. What would be the difference here? Right. So if somebody does a translation on ChatGPT and they bring it to us, we can, it's called machine translation expert in the loop or AI translation expert in the loop. So we would add an expert in the loop. We can review it and we can say it's passable. It captures the meaning, or we can go the next level and say we can culturally adapt it. You know, there is the possibility that we can say this is just bad translation, we can't use it, you know, and that's your risk. So that's if they bring the translation to us. What we're looking at is pretty similar process that we've used all the way along. When we get a translation in, we look to see if we could use machine translation for it. Then what we're doing is building out a proprietary database of their words, their style, their voice. So the next time we do a translation forum, we are using that to build upon it and continue to get better. And we use the same linguist to review the material. So they're gaining that knowledge along the way. When AI is built in on top of the provider that we use, we'll continue to use that process. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So you basically personalize the service. And meanwhile, AI is sort of like 
one size fits all, right? So um, we personalize the service, we guarantee the quality, and we're managing all the inputs for it. So if you're a large enterprise, you're doing that on your own. But when you've got, you know, anybody that's not very expert in doing translation that's smaller than a, a large enterprise, they can go out to the wild west and think they're doing something. But there's already legal cases and huge issues and lost money for people that don't manage that tightly. That's what we do at Rapport International is manage that process for them. Okay, and how many languages do you have at, at Airport International? How many languages do you base manage? We translate to and from 200 languages. Oh, wow. wow. That's like all the languages in the world? How many do you guys miss? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. There's about six or seven languages in the world, and the number is actually shrinking because as globalization and television, and in particular Netflix, gets around the world more and more, all the people that speak speak one of the small dialects are losing that because they're picking up a language that's used more commonly in their area. So there's a whole industry that focuses on preserving and saving languages that are going extinct. Interesting. I'm actually curious. Did you have any cases when a farm organization wanted to translate a prospect or let's say a brochure to a very uncommon language? We're seeing it more in research. Like Patient authorizations, because those are spread more around the world when they're looking for patients for clinical trials. So some of those are coming up in unusual languages. And then a lot in pharma. I mean, if you talk to 75% of the world, you can use about a couple dozen languages. So typically, pharma is going to be using those you know, a couple dozen languages. So it does become manageable, unless it's a disease state that is particular at a specific population. That's where we've seen some of the more unusual languages come up too. Huh, interesting. So would you say pharma companies use your services more for research than for any other work? It's all the way from patent research. You know, I'm looking at patenting this in another country and I want to see what's out there. Can you give me a translation? It's regulatory, it's patient authorizations, it's package inserts, it's websites, it's patient education, brochures, patient communications. It goes mm -hmm. across the spectrum. And just like it's really important for marketing to be in at the developmental stages, it's also important for the cultural adaptation to go on very early because you don't want to get all of the way to the end, come up with your marketing messages, and then say, okay, now we're going to go into these other languages because it may miss the mark. So it's really good to bring your globalization experts in early. How do you, that's a very interesting topic. How do you manage the cultural adaptation? Like, let's say you have a specific language. Let's say you have to translate into Swahili, right? How do you make sure that the language is right? Like for those marketing materials, how does it happen? Like a pharma company comes to you and they say, Hey, Wendy, we need to translate this into Swahili. What's the process? I'm actually really curious about that. And so are listeners. So if we're working with a company that brings us in at that point, our translators know that they're not just translating. They're also culturally adapting. So the Swahili translator would read it over. Hopefully it's written in very clear English. <laughs> so the messages are accurate. You know, poor writing leads to, you know, the translators really struggling. If it makes sense, they're going to capture the message and put it into Swahili. If it doesn't make sense or it's not culturally appropriate, 
they come back. And I have a great example from Staples. Okay, it's an let's office, do. Okay, you know Staples? I know Staples, The office yeah. product store. In- they have a stadium too, right? In, I think in California, Staples Stadium. Yeah, they have them throughout the United States. They were expanding internationally and then they've pulled back a little bit. But they were making, they had this tagline, make more happen. And they wanted mm-hmm. to take the more out and they put in things like make work happen, make play happen. And one of them was make refrigerator art happen. So the French okay. translator, do you know what refrigerator art is? Not, not really. I, th- I know what refrigerator, it's like a fridge, right? Refrigerator. Refrigerator, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, in the United States, when your child comes home from school with a pretty picture, you take a magnet and you hang it on the refrigerator, and we call that refrigerator art. You're showcasing your child's art. Well, the French translator got it, and she, she knew what refrigerator art was, but she said, that's not a thing in France. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Refrigerators are for keeping food cold. We don't have that. So we could take that back to the client and say, okay, that's just not a thing. Do you want to come up with something different that you use in the market in France, or do you just not want to use it because you've got plenty of other ones that will work? And they chose not to use it. But we didn't come, we didn't make something up just because we were translating it. Now, if you go to chat GPT or NLP machine translation, you're going to get something, you're going to use it, and it's going to completely flop or cause you to get, you know, Instagram laugh things about you. It's so going to make it really funny, old culturally, like odd, for example, right? Like something that in that culture is, you know, look over at, like as ugly, right? For example. Right. I don't want to get into any like, you know, racist words, but it does happen. Especially it happened in the 60s when they were translating Latin American brands into here in Europe, for example, and it sounded like very odd, very different for us. I, I bet that can happen with, when you use ChatGPT. And certainly if you're using like, if you're translating something for, let's say, pharma, they are very, like, I would say sensitive about like the message and who are your customers and what's the message you're sending them because these are like doctors and in many cases. And they're very careful with what they're saying, right? So the language has to be very, like, concise, correct. Absolutely. Yeah, I used to work at Park Cell and Biogen, so I've worked in the industry. And when we had marketing materials that had to go out, they were always reviewed by regulatory. So that would go back and forth as to what was allowed. So, right, you know, pharmaceutical companies around the world have to be very, very careful. They can't use promises. They can't guarantee anything. So word choice has to be extremely careful. And that's what makes me really worried about chat GPT. I mean, just playing around with it, my marketing person decided to put my, you know, ask for my bio and, you know, she put Wendy P's in translation. It came back that I'd written a book that I hadn't. I had written a book, but it was, you know, a different one. And it came back and it gave me a whole bunch of awards that I hadn't won but I had won other awards. And so it was really scary how bad that was. And then bias, I mean, it, it is loaded with bias. There's all sorts of examples on that. And changing meetings. <laughs> I mean, we had, we were playing, I was working with some people in the industry and we were playing around with some translation and we had four samples. One was by a human, two were by machine translation, and one was a machine translation edited by chat GPT. And so the human one, you could get the message that was pretty similar to what the original was. The two machine translations were clunky and hard to read. 
-hmm. And the one that had been reviewed by ChatGPT completely, completely changed the meaning, but it sounded the best. That's what's so scary to me. Yeah, so it does change the meaning, so it would look, uh, would sound better. But at the same time, you have to, I don't think it's going to work as it is right now. ChatGPT really likes to make up stories and it's not going to work for pharma when it comes to documentation, brochures and marketing. So that's why I would say in this case, it's not going to work. I'm wondering, do we have any like interest? Where I do think it, I mean, it's always good to where it will work. So say you're a lawyer and you're working on a pharmaceutical legal case or you're doing discovery for a patent and you've got massive files and you've got to figure out which one is key to the research that you're doing. Throw it in to, I mean, already it's going to be hard to throw massive files into chat GPT, but you can do that with machine translation. You have somebody brief through it to find just the material that you want, then get that done by a human translator. So that's called the gist translation, and that's been around for a while. And that's where it's helpful because you don't have the money to do all the translation. Yeah, translation is expensive, especially, I guess, if you translate into like a dozen languages and so on, right? Right. But that's the thing is if it's really important, spend the money to do it right. Just like you'd have a good writer and you'd have somebody review it. If it's not that important, do it cheap and easy. And so that's the breakout. Yeah. Well, I don't think bio, bio, biotech or pharma can do it cheap and easy. <laughs> yeah. No, I wouldn't recommend it now. I wouldn't, you know, and then the other thing is, is it, unless they're going to really focus on building out a customized glossary, a customized LMM, it's not going to work. And they've got to have somebody that understands, fully understands the meeting. We had a fascinating situation with another marketing person that works for us. She was writing a white paper about how to work with an interpreter. And she was using chat GPT for ideation. And one of the things it said was that the interpreter should mimic the expressions of the person who's speaking. And the marketing person, the, her boss, caught her on it and said, where did you get this? This is inaccurate. And she goes, oh, I got it from ChatGPT, but oh. I validated it on Google. And we went back and we looked at the articles that she validated it on. And because she had already read GPT and thought that that interpreter should mimic the expressions, when she read the material on Google, it validated her impression or her bias already. But we knew that you know, I train interpreters, we knew that the interpreter should never, the expressions, the two people who are trying to communicate across languages face each other. The interpreter's a side piece. They're just repeating the words. They're like a telephone receiver, you know, so they're not supposed to add all the inflections and the emotions and the everything that's going on because the two people looking at each other will see that. So, that's one thing that really scared me. And if you're doing, and that's just in English. <laughs> mm-hmm. What happens if you're going across languages? You've got to have that depth of knowledge and you've got to understand the languages to that level. Great. You know what I'm worried about actually is that say you write a scientific paper and you decide to consult ChatGPT on a certain subject. You consult ChatGPT, you get your answer and you sort of validate it on Google, right? Or on Bing. And what 
and you get back to those articles, right? Like page one, two, three, and let's say many of those articles were written by, by ChatGPT, you know? And in this case, you basically use the same tool to bias yourself and you get it wrong. So I guess it's sort of like really dangerous. So I'm actually curious about, maybe you've heard that Sam Altman is now traveling Europe and the US trying to sort of regulate AI heavily because especially ChatGPT because he thinks that, you know, he's the master god of the cage and then it possibly can bring a lot of danger and harm. Cool. I've heard that. I've heard the developers are in front of Congress right now talking to them about the dangers of what could happen on it. And it's it's there, but how do you regulate something that's so helpful? I mean, if I want to go in and write a poem or an email or something in my language, I can do it, but I can edit it to get my point across, you know, but you're right. What data sources, if we're pulling through, we teach our children to go back and cite sources and they better be good sources. Correct. By the way, I got just a few more questions for you. Do you see any threat from ChatGPT for like your personally, your business? In the short term, I do. And this is the same when Google Translate came out that all of a sudden people were excited about it. But then I think over the long term, there's going to be enough issues with legal liability, mistranslations, lost revenue opportunity, that people will then come back to agencies and saying, you know, can you help us with this? The opportunity that I see now is how to do content creation in other languages. We do trans creation and cultural adaptation and all that. And so I've been wondering about, is there a way to create content that would be, you know, so somebody wouldn't have to write it in a language, would it, but it would be more appropriate. So, and the other challenge that we have in the industry is you've got a bunch of translators that have been trained to give high quality translation with the meaning given, and they can spend hours researching how to get a point clearly across. AI is going to help them do that research quicker, and then they should be able to validate it or they'll naturally understand because they speak the language. So how do we train people to edit to make sure they capture those differences like the interpreter's expression issue? They've got to have deep understanding of the material Mm -hmm. and of the languages. So how we put that into our workflow is something we're all looking at right now. Okay. All right. I agree with that. I would say I have my last question for you. If let's say I'm an interpreter and I have a job in pharma, what's the right way to use, let's say, marketer? And I have to interpret or culturally adapt some brochures, some materials. What's the right way to use ChatGPT? I think the right way is for research. Like if there's a term that you come across and you go, oh, I know it, but I just can't find the word, you can go to chat GPT and say, okay, I've got this word and, it, and give me three options of how I could translate it. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to understand the knowledge. Oh yeah, that one would work. Oh, that one's really awesome. You know, like I was asking this, somebody in English the other day, what's the difference between nice and kind? He was a native English speaker, and he said, boy, I know there's a difference, but I don't know what it is. And I said, I've been thinking about it. I think nice is somebody you can get along with. Kind is somebody who does nice things. Like mm. a translator has to have that level of understanding or level of thought. So they can go to chat GPT and say, give me suggestion, and then they can pluck which one is up. When they train a model, if they've translated kind and nice before, 
then they can pull from that and use that again and again. So it's consistent across, you know, the company's lexicon. That's And that's what we've been doing with machine translation. They might be able to say, here's the original English. I, I wouldn't do it with as it is now, unless it's something very simple. But here's the English, and I'd like to see it in Hungarian. And maybe they'll, the sub-material they'll be able to go through and they'll edit. It's probably okay. more functual, factual. But if you get into anything like naming something for a patent, we already have to go back and say, do you want to create a name? Do you want a translation with an explanation about it? Or do you want to leave it in the native language? You know, so we can get ideas to then present to the person, but it still takes a human to make that decision and to understand when to take that information to the client to say, how do you want to handle this? Yeah, that's correct. It makes a lot of sense. So there is a nuance and in the words, and I think ChatGPT is not there yet to actually feel that nuance and I hope it's yeah. never going to be there. Yeah. Cool. Th thank you, Wendy. It was a great podcast. I've learned a lot about languages, nuances, cultural adaptation, guys. Please note that down. That's a key word for today. It was a pleasure. I'll see you maybe in a year when we decide to make a new episode with you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Stefan.